This is Multinew Media. So, hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. It has been quite a while since you've been on the show. Yeah, yeah, a couple months. Has it has it been a roller coaster ride for you? Yeah, um, <laughs> the moving uh, into my new place and and getting everything organized and unpacked, which I'm, I'm still working on, is has definitely taken a bunch of effort. Mm, yeah, no, I don't envy that. Um, your house is nice though. Took a look at it. I'm gonna just crash there whenever I feel like it. You know, why why not? <laughs> so when when I came over to visit you recently, you got me into uh, uh, okay. You're going to have gotten me into, does that make sense? A TV show. This AP bio thing. <laughs> we we watched part of an episode, right? And I thought, hey, this is humorous. I'm going to have to get into it. And then I came home a week or so later, saw a commercial for it. And I'm just sitting there musing to myself how funny it looks and um, telling my wife, oh, I have to start watching this. And she just looks at me. She's like, that's the episode that you and Chris watched. We, you know, a week or so ago. So I'm going to have to get into that. Do you still give that two thumbs up? Um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. Um, I think the first three episodes are up on Hulu. Um, it, it's, it's humorous. Uh, it's a little zany. It, it's very much kind of like office space. What is it you do here type of <laughs> mentality, but applied to high school as someone who teaches not at a high school level at a collegiate level sometimes you just you have that feeling like what is it that i'm doing right now that has any substantive value to anyone and then there are other days where you get that answer but i i I just love it i love that um there's witty uh humor on that that topic but it it brings me to a weird tangent of what are kids in school today going to be doing in their jobs, right? So I'm in the classroom the other day and I'm having one of those AP bio type moments where the class and I are not, and this doesn't happen often. This is very rare for me um, if I do toot my own horn, I guess, but it's very rare for me to be at odds with the class and to feel like the outsider. And we were having one of those moments and the way I broke that ice was simply saying, look, I need you to not just be ready for your career that you're going into but I need you ready for 20 years down the road when the career you're going into no longer exists. And that has been on my mind ever since. You know, I started getting a bunch of questions about what I meant and and everything else. And I'm just looking at the world and automation right now and thinking, how far does this go? Where do we take this? How many of our jobs, even in business, even in technology, even in marketing, are absolutely going to disappear in the next two decades and what we need to do about it now. Before we dive really into it, can I ask you a, uh, just a quick question to I, I, frame it for me? Sure, absolutely. Were you the oldest guy in the class? Well, the, the oldest you, person in the class. Yeah, no, I, there was another <laughs> instructor in the room with me. She's observing to take over that particular class and she's got just a couple of years on me. But but um, so we, we can say, sure, yes. Okay, I was going to say comparing the teacher to the students. Yeah, no, Uh, I've got... There was a generational gap or at least an age gap of some kind. Let's say 15 years. Okay. Because to me, that helps sum it up. (laughs) Oh, wait a second. Are you calling me old? I don't don't know where this is going. I'm going to put my intentional blinders on. These days, don't you understand? The world's changing. If I knew then what I knew now... I should clarify. We we were not (laughs) at odds on that concept. We... um, 
okay. we were having a one of it, do you remember back in school the group work moments where the um the group starts turning on itself they were having one of those and i i um instead of coaching them through it somehow ended up in the middle of it and and had to say okay no we've got to take a different approach but just as a tangent that concept came out of that um that occurrence and so we weren't at odds at that but but it really it's really had me thinking because of how much they gravitated towards that concept afterwards of, you know what, you're right. I can absolutely see the career that I want, the career that I'm working so hard to get. I can see it being gone in 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard concept to to recognize. I, I mean, I kind of picked up on it a long time ago in, in my career. If you remember, uh, I mean – Around 2000, um, I had kind of just finished, you know, I graduated high school in 97. So I was kind of going towards a development path already, but there was nothing but rumors about Y2K. <laughs> Y2K is coming up. And, and, and there was the constant discussion of, oh, the old Fortran and COBOL programs are going to end the world. Mm-hmm. We forgot like, to this put the old first skill that people spent their lives on. Yeah is meaningless. Oh, except now we got to find people who can do it. So it, 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 it just, even then it was very easy to see that for, in my field, technology is going to pass you by and anything that you're working on today will be obsolete or rewritten or that platform doesn't exist anymore in five to 10 years. Mm. Think you- about the original Xbox. Like people spent a lot of time and effort writing games for that or the original PlayStation, a lot of time and effort and they have to learn new skills to move on because that platform's dead now. I mean, you can go back to when video games really started entering homes in the United States. Let's say, you know, Sega and then the Nintendo Entertainment System and, and Atari before that. And how many people want to play those games today? How many kids rather not, not to go back to the, the age difference. It's a much smaller subset. There's the retro movement going on right now, a revival, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I, a hundred percent agree. And, and, you know, most people are wanting the first person shooter, you know, kind of, kind of game. And, and I guess that, that really leads me to with the fact of automation coming in, even into programming and development with machine learning and with the super large cloud environments, what type of threat do um, and and this isn't the whole purpose of it, but let's 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 explore different angles. What type of, of threats do developers face right now? How much of that work is being automated? Um, I don't know about automated. I mean, we we definitely so in, in my field right now, we definitely try to set up automated testing. So like testing websites and software. There, there's whole frameworks. Uh, to help facilitate that as far as like doing the work sure people want to drag and drop and just point and click and oh i made an app but like triple a like enterprise level stuff you you have to like get down on the code and 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 do work and there's manual testing to go along with the automated testing but we want to automate a lot of things and and not to take away jobs or whatever it's to be repeatable to, to be repeatable is like, you know, you're, you're stamping it out. It's done the same way every time. We deploy it the same way every time. We run the tests and, and validate that the site 
or the software is running the same way it did last time and the new code didn't break anything. So we use that for reliability and repeatability more than um, faster or, or, you know, less people. So it's not necessarily the automation part. It's about reliance. It's about uh, push, push I've, I've button got, stuff, you know, yeah, but uh, I've people, got t- people screw up software. More, more than anything. So if you can take people out of it, you know, oh, I forgot to edit this file. Oh, I forgot to do this thing. Oh, I forgot to touch this thing. Oh, I typoed. If you remove all that, building and deploying and stuff. One of my questions reliable. there is, that, doesn't that make you, and this has nothing to do with today's topic, but doesn't that make you a little bit more vulnerable? You can't, I mean, yes, you want things to work and you want to be able to spin things up. And, and that's kind of in the back of my mind as well. But you, you also need to be able to process and prove over time and have innovation. I mean, did, does that limit yeah, innovation in any way? The very first step I do on any project, and it's been this way for years, is we set up our build pipeline. I check in code, the system builds it, and we figure out a, a release pipeline. The system takes those built artifacts and puts them on a server somewhere. So we set up the server, we set up the build pipeline, we do all that stuff. So now it's I check in and when QA signs off, they hit a button and it can go to prod. So we want to get that as fast and reliable as possible. And then we layer on top of that automated testing. Um, So in the cloud scenario, like you just said, spin up services, let's say I just published the world's best article ever. And now the whole internet is trying to hit my site at once. So if I had to go out there and build a machine and spin up stuff and lay on the code and and configure stuff, I wouldn't be able to do it in time and the site would (laughs) fall over. Yeah. Now, in a cloud environment, if I have like something with auto scaling and I've set up these release pipelines so it can automatically spin up a machine and put the code on it and I don't have to do anything, the system can respond to that load dynamically. Uh, The site's more reliable and it can respond faster than I can. That's really – And I don't have to monitor it 24-7. I let the system monitor itself. And, and that's really part of this whole, you know, conversation of is is automation helping or hurting or neither. I, I think sometimes we focus on the good and bad too much. But just your example is kind of over my head. I get it. I'm there with you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we see the same thing over in marketing. If anyone's working in social media marketing, you don't go and sit down and schedule. I mean, we do, but you don't if you're going to schedule when your post should run. Right. Not when you're doing a big campaign and you're you're right. being precise about it, but just your everyday posts. You send that over to Hootsuite or Sprout Social or or Hexagon or whatever you're using. And yep. you you say, you know what, schedule this for me based on when people are online and active and, and engaging with us. And I, I mean, I almost wonder how far do we get until when you want some type of recommendation engine, uh, some type of algorithm that we have algorithms writing algorithms and we don't have to worry about it well i mean look it, it, this is the same conversation we've had for years so let's take your marketing example back in the day when someone called your business oh and by the way how did you hear about us right how many times was that asked all the time right still so asked, now by the way, yeah. I, well yeah it's still asked in some places mm-hmm. in other places not so much because Maybe you've automated that that campaign or that message or, or um, I want to send this marketing message at this time of day. You're focusing about the message and the timing. 
you don't really care that, oh, I have to log on and go click this. Let a system take care of that for me. Let a system take care of, hey, here's my email or here's my URL that I want tied to this campaign. Are you going to like ask the people, hey, did you get this through Twitter or through email or through this? The system has minified the links and keeps track of that for you. You go and you look at your report and you see where the message is going who it's hitting and who's responding. You're not sitting there making a spreadsheet trying to tabulate the data. Yeah. That's something that's repeatable and automatable. You're focused about the bigger picture and not the small details. Right. Absolutely. And I and, and that's the future. And that's you got to just keep it it's it's building on lower levels to focus on the higher level concepts instead of the lower level minutia. And what what people can benefit from so much in their careers I think is if they start identifying what these higher level themes are and work to position themselves into them. And I know that you and I have had this conversation online and offline so much <laughs> of stop worrying about the minutiae. So what if it's not perfect? You can process and prove later. Um, but I mean, how yeah. did you do that in your career? How did you start identifying? Look, here are the things that or rather maybe how do you do it in your daily life of here are the things that matter today that I have to do that this is. Now, I'm not talking priority. I'm talking about the high level picture of this is what we're trying to achieve. And even if it looks like I'm being counterproductive, I'm heading that way because I think the answer to that question from us can help some people start thinking about that original question of, of today of what do I do to prepare myself for 20 years from now when my job is gone? Well, I mean, look, I'm a developer. Um, nine times out of 10, you might walk by a developer's desk and not see him typing. Isn't that, isn't that kind of <laughs> it seems that opposite what you're thinking? Well, like, I've, okay. You're here it, to write software and your main the main thing you do most days is not writing software. I'm going to laugh at the old school managers who I may not know what you're doing, but I know you're probably doing something. I at least give you that benefit of the doubt. But absolutely right. There are a lot of people right. out there who go, well, what are you doing if you're not hacking away on the keyboard? You're reading. Right. You're listening. You're thinking because you have to talk to people to see what's the big picture. What's the – you know, I, I'm a consultant, so one day I might be in food service, one day I might be in education, one day I might be in, in corporate sales. So first I need to understand the language, the, the main specific language. What, what is, you know, if I'm in real estate, what does short sale mean? Or, you know, if you're in a restaurant, what's a lead time or a quote time? Like you have to understand what they're talking about mm -hmm. to get to what is they're really trying to find. And then a lot of times especially once you get on a project or you're on a project for a while or you're dealing with code that's been there, you have to read it. You want to understand what's being done and why it's being done. And you want to find the places where you can add and expand that without breaking everything. And so if you, I just start writing code, the interactions could be catastrophic or counterproductive. So a lot of reading, and a lot of talking to people, and then you have to sit there and think about how the pieces fit together. So for me, and and other developers like me, our career has mainly been spent teaching us how to think and process. Um, and so if the programming language I work on today goes away, the next programming language is just learning where's the semicolon go or, or, or <laughs> tabs or spaces, something <laughs> like that. Now, I think the next, for me, the next, you know, I kind of pay attention to, um, the big conferences, I pay attention to changing technologies. I kind of keep an ear out for what's coming down the line. 
And, and now that's kind of been containers and containers has been an evolution of virtual machines and virtual machines has kind of been an evolution of like the server rooms and server farms where I have multiple servers and I use load balancers. So having real, you know, multiple servers load balanced turned into multiple virtual machines load balanced has turned into like cloud services where it's a, a process running on a thing. Now it's turned into containers. So there's been an evolution to orchestrating more things together. So keep that in mind. How do you, I mean, how do you juggle all of that? Uh, ADHD helps. <laughs> and alcohol. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's not that much different over in the education side where I'm at. And, you know, I have those concerns in the back of my mind. People are moving towards short form education. And so I've made a couple moves recently to, to get more into that. And, you know, just like any business would, you, you put your feelers out, you explore the, the industry and you find out, but it, it worries me. And, you know, not only am I in corporate education, but also in post-secondary education. And, and I ask myself that question. Yes, I think there will still be teachers for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, but at, at the same time, not in the way we know. So I ask myself that very same question of what happens. Right. If you're a a retail clerk, if you stock shelves, if you are in food service right now, your jobs are probably closest to being on the line. And then mine's a few back from there. But I think about that. What do I do in 20 years if I don't have my job? And that's where you start exploring. You start like you, you talked about, start observing, see where the currents are going, see what's you know, what people are responding to and what they're not responding to. And that's that is. Uh, it's a significant portion of my work anymore. Not a large percent, but significant. Well, I, I think there's also a couple things to keep in mind. Um, there's evolutionary changes and there's revolutionary changes. Right. So we should definitely go into that because. So think think about cell phones like cell phones. What started in the 80s, 70s, 80s and and continued all the way up to the 90s and 2000s. And they were very similar. Make sure there were flip phones and brick phones and and all sorts of thing. But it was I can call and then, OK, now I can get short texts, you know, because it combined pager functionality. OK, it, it's still those were just kind of small evolutionary steps. They're like, oh, let's put Java on it. Maybe you can browse a web page. Everybody hated it. Terrible experience or playing Snake on your phone. And then <laughs> I when, like uh, Snake. 07, What's wrong with that? The Nokia 3300. Snake was right. great. E e even like the sidekick and all those, it was all about messaging and texting mm -hmm. and, and calling. Like that was always the focus of phones up until 07 when the iPhone came out. And even then, originally it was music and Texting and oh, here's a web browser. That's not really what we're, we're focusing on. And a, a developers hopped on the website app and the app side of things. Mm -hmm. And that was a revolutionary change. From that point on, Android and iOS and all the other things kind of started shifting to, hey, let's just put the app on the phone. But this, like, I mean, this is where perspective but, is. But that was for the, for a year or two, there was muddy, you know, the waters were muddy. Like, Okay, it's still phone, whatever. But after that, like everything changed. The, the marketing, the design, the usage, the everything has changed. Well, yeah, Since Apple relented that, and put an app store on there. That was major. It completely revolutionized. So even if you didn't see it coming, even if you weren't paying attention that first year or so, 
like it wasn't like everything changed overnight, but it was pretty close. Like it, it, you know, and like within two years, or it, it like the world had changed. Absolutely, and I, I think a trap we fall into is we think that revolutionary has to be new, and it can be just disruptive or, or right. rethinking something and reframing it. And that's where I think that's where Apple it has been so successful, right? If we want to look at a case study. Because Apple didn't really, for for maybe a 10, 15, 20-year period, didn't make anything new. They took product categories that had failed and reworked them and made them something new. And so with somebody who was using a smartphone in 2005 to connect mm-hmm. to my laptop and get my data, I didn't have internet at the time. I was in an apartment, didn't want to pay for it. And the, the cell phone companies weren't tracking how much data you used back then. So I would just tether my, um, physically tether Mm -hmm. my cell phone to my laptop and that was my data and then so two years later i mean i was dumbfounded right i didn't view just like you're talking about i didn't view the iphone as revolutionary i viewed it as and a lot of people do and it's it's not meant negatively it it helped the market viewed it as a dumbing down of this complex technology of of a smartphone and it became revolutionary, though. Forget that smartphones had been around for a decade at that point. Yeah, Palm it, Pilots and all that. Yeah, it took it, the it, mind change. It took the the paradigm shift in order to make the thing revolutionary after the fact. Well, let's look at your field, education. So, like even in techn- uh, like technical teaching, mm-hmm. people would sign up for workshops and either a class at a college or like a boot camp or workshop where you paid five to 10 grand and got immersed for like a couple of weeks or a week or so that, that was the state of technology education here in parts of central Florida and other parts of the U S we we still, we still rely on that a little too heavily. And, and, but, but yeah, that's, that, that was the the way I'm just saying like even high school education, uh, like I know the virtual stuff is growing, but even then it's, you, you be on a certain time, Sure. And, you, you, you know, there's somebody there maybe chatting or maybe you're logging onto the website and doing the assignments that the teacher has posted and they get graded. It, it's kind of the same with the high school virtual stuff or the college like online classes type of mindset. But I, I think back to like YouTube started and it was like just random stuff. Yeah. Um, just a video hosting think, platform. How long ago was was Khan Academy? Like the guy just made some simple basic videos like to help his cousin or his niece or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think about lynda.com and Pluralsight and Udemy, you know, Udemy and all of these things. We have like transformed education for some people where it's here's this prescribed top down, learn things this way to, Hey, you can go find videos on YouTube or on Khan Academy or uh, on these these sites, and you can learn at your pace how you want to learn, and and it's very disruptive. It, consume it. It's it's absolutely very disruptive, and it's something that I know a lot of organizations are struggling with. You know, I've worked with a couple of colleges and universities to try to implement these this type of short form virtual uh, asynchronous yeah. training and it, you know, these traditional organizations have had a problem getting it going and that's where I've had to step up independently. And I, I, I think this is where we get into a lot of problems with disruptive technologies and the things that a lot of times individuals and small businesses can see, but we don't necessarily always act on them because it may be in conflict with our, our current role, right? I don't, there's nothing I'm going to do. You're not going to ever be able to convince me 
as a human being to do something that's going to harm my employer, right? Because that harms me. That harms my livelihood. But at the same time, in the back of our minds, sometimes we know that a smaller competitor or an upstart has a severe advantage over us and could become the default in the future. And I think that's something that I'd love to find a way to coach students through and to coach, you know, just corporate clients through and really anyone I meet, because that's the I think that's the struggle we face in the next couple of decades of my company can't respond to something. It needs to be done. How do you go about? Because at at the end of the day, right, you're not going to you're going to look out for number one all the time, right? You're going to make sure you're employed. So you're not going to harm your employer. But at the same time, can they guarantee you employment next year or the year after? So this is going to be a little bit of a tangent ish. I don't know. But I found it um, entertaining yesterday. I was watching The Punisher on Netflix, the the Marvel Punisher Mm -hmm. uh, series. And there was a scene in it that just popped into my mind. And it was talking about uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman and the the rope-a-dope strategy. Just bear with me. I'm I'm with you. I'm loving it. The dad was talking to the son and his son was struggling with stuff. And he was like, look, Foreman went in there and fought the way he always fights. And he was going to try to win it by fighting the way he always fights. And he's like, Ali knew he couldn't win by fighting the way he normally fought. And so he needed to find a way to win. And so he found a strategy. He adapted his strategy to find one that worked. He's like, so he took punishment and, and tired the guy out and then, you know, turned around and, and attacked. So it's not always if you know your strategy won't work or if you see that uh, career you're aiming for going away, it might be looking at your skill sets and looking at what you do and finding a new place for those skills to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of pro- – I typically in development have problems, uh, workplaces that have moved to a scrum or agile methodologies where we're, we're, we're iterating very quickly and we're, we're, we're moving fast with product managers, PMs that, mm-hmm. or BAs that are used to – hey, we're going to have a three-year-long project. We're going to spend a year documenting requirements and making matrices and tracking this and doing that and doing design. Not if you that's, want to succeed, you're not. That's very different than, hey, we're going to start writing this thing and not have documents. We're going to discover things and figure it out along the way. And we might go the wrong way a little bit here or there, but it's going to be working. And you know, We're going to get feedback and it will adapt and be releasable quickly. So those two mindsets clash. And uh, yeah. I always seem to have issues with some of those. Like there's been BAs that adapt to Agile and Scrum well, and they realize, hey, we can't plan it all out. There's unknowns, and we just got to be okay with them. And then there's others who just fight like the process tooth and nail and try to make it conform to what they know. Yeah. So I think that – I mean, look, the world has changed. The world is always going to be changing. Someone's going to have a better mousetrap. Someone's going to come out with, you know, a, a new car, a new new rocket, new whatever. You just need to learn to adapt or or say, oh, this is parallel to what I do. And if I just maybe change my mindset a little bit or pick up this one other skill, I can fit into that new market. 
I think that's important. And, and, you know, you and I have have discussed that quite a bit. And there's there's an older business book that I would recommend. I'm trying to remember who the author is at the moment, but it's called The Innovator's Dilemma. And I I don't recommend a lot of, you know, books or audio books or movies or anything like that on the show. But I'd almost recommend The Innovator's Dilemma. It was written back in the 90s as sort of a a guidebook if somebody needs help on this, because here's why. Um, It talks a lot about the disruptive nature of technology and how big businesses constantly fail to address it and adapt to it and that it's not necessarily a management problem. It's exactly what you were talking about right there is that somebody has a better mousetrap and we get in this we get in this way of thinking of but it's not the bigger better more complex mousetrap it's a simple little toy remember how i said i thought of the iphone as the dumbed down version of a smartphone sure but what were the advantages that i was overlooking why did i not go in and you know i'm not no regrets i wouldn't have done this even knowing now what i know but why wouldn't someone go in as an app developer then when it was easier and learn and grow and you know get into it at that point well, if you're me or someone like me, again, because that wouldn't been wouldn't have been a path for me, the answer is because you look at it like a toy. Well, what's wrong with a toy if it solves the problem? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm sure you've you've read about Netflix versus Blockbuster. Huh. Over and over. We've, we've Blockbuster much, was huge at the time. We've like pretty much retired that case study in business. Enormous. School gigantic company netflix was a small like startup I, hey we got an idea and they approached them to be bought by net blockbuster and they're like no thanks yeah we're i mean we're <laughs> we're surprisingly we've retired that one and we're moving back to like sears case studies again because really? well they become relevant again with amazon so now there's this this kind of three-way trifecta of amazon Walmart and Sears, the three retail behemoths from the 20th and 21st centuries. And well, the, Sears is going down. Yeah, the dynamic of how Sears is handling that as a holdings company now and how Walmart's handling that as an actual retailer and how Amazon's just being a tech company. We're kind of onto that, but absolutely. Netflix, Blockbuster. And it's no secret. We've talked about this on the show before. We've talked about our own difficulties and and, and inability rather to do that from time to time. And I actually have something to tell you. I took your advice yet again. Now, this wasn't specific (laughs) advice you gave me. I'm having some trouble with it now. I'll admit it. I'm out of my comfort zone and I'm very, (laughs) I'll be dealing with it emotionally in the back of my mind. But, you know, I was working with Amazon, speaking of the big devil the other day, and um, they have this program merch by Amazon. And I reached out to them. They basically just print T-shirts and do this for you. It's all the fulfillment, everything. So if you're interested in it, go merch.amazon.com. And you have to apply to get the invitation. Now, I'm pretty sure they're liberal with this. They're letting people in as they can. But I reached out and my my plea to them was, look, I'm a big guy. I've always wanted to do like a big and tall type line. And I do not at this point have the time, the resources, anything to put into it. But it's something I've wanted to do. And so they go, great. Here's your invitation. Come on in. I need the designs, Chris. Am okay. I a graphic designer? Nope. Nope. I'm a business person. I'm an educator. I have been working my fingers to the bone on Fiverr <laughs> right now, working with people in the U.S., Venezuela, Pakistan, Bangladesh, working with people to try to find the right folks to do the job. And yes, I could go. 
I could work with some of the students uh, at my university. Freelancer. I could find freelancers. But Fiverr is a marketplace that I've wanted to study for a long time. So I'm taking your advice and saying, okay, who am I as a business person? What skill can I learn? And that's this international sourcing through um, the internet. And how can I apply that to the thing I need to get done? I put off. I can vectorize an image like anyone else. I put doing that off for two days just because I didn't want to do it. And that taught me something. Mm-hmm. Go to the market. You don't want to do it. Let someone, someone else who will. Let someone else who loves doing it do it. And yes, I'm having a nightmare at the moment. I keep getting crap work at, you know, it's inexpensive, $20, $30, $40 a pop. But well, I will eventually. Fiverr, if I, you were doing maybe one that had a little bit better Elance or Freelance or sure. some of the other ones. Sure, I'm going might... to try a couple different marketplaces, but I'm using it since I have the time and it's not slowing me down, right? The slowest option would be for me to use my own skill and do it. That'd be the slowest option for me. Yeah. So I have the time to explore these marketplaces and to get comfortable with it. And that to me is is the fruition of the advice you were giving me before. And I, I just want to stress this to anyone out there. I'm not saying go and outsource your nine to five job. <laughs> Don't do that. Your employer is not going to be happy with that. But some of the projects, some of these things, even if they're just hobbies that we never get to, I had to look, I had to look at every project that I've ever worked on and count the number of failure, failures to successes. Well, the failure, failures should be larger. But then I mm-hmm. started drilling in. How many failures were directly my responsibility? And the numbers scared me. So I had to I had to try something. And it's working so far. It's frustrating. It's scary. But I think this is what we're all going to have to do in our careers to some degree, whether it's for our businesses, for the companies that employ us, for ourselves. We're going to have to start looking and saying, look, I know Fiverr may have your have a reputation, but there's I have to trust in the system that the site is doing business. There's somebody out there that can do the work. And if not, these other freelancer sites. And if not, 99 yep. designs. And if not, right, there there's a reason they exist. And as much as we want to kind of snub our nose at them a little bit, uh, trust in the system. They're there for a reason. And, and that's where you've kind of helped me with. And that's my scary out of my comfort zone moment. Uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it, the the sites wouldn't get that big and that many referrals or that many people using them if if it didn't work for somebody. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, balance it. Like, again, you, you know you are going to get what you pay for sometimes. So if, if it's something big and detailed, that's one thing. If it's, hey, I need you to do this grunt work and <laughs> – convert all these videos or do all this transcoding or add subtitles to all this stuff. When meanwhile, somebody else loves doing that. Some people might not love doing it, but they might like the the money they get from doing right. it. Right. Maybe they make a living doing that. And what some people do. Think about, um. well, there, there are tons of examples. Just You can extrapolate that in your own mind. But then there are other people who have access to technology that, that maybe they know how to use some type of transcription service. And well, I don't. See, I use the exact the, this example with with somebody from my house. Um, some friends of mine also bought a house around the same time I did. They wanted they were like, "We're gonna paint the rooms. We're gonna do it all ourselves." I'm like, "Cool. I'm gonna find somebody." <laughs> I'm like, "I want someone to professionally paint the stuff, touch up the drywall, repair the ceilings. You you know, do the edging right. Like, they have the tools." They have the skills. They've been doing this stuff for years. They can get done in a couple hours what might take me two days. Right. And so I just want it done. I want it done right. 
So if if their focus is the painting and, and the drywall, I'm going to let them do that. Yeah. And everybody has their own. See, there's a point of pride in doing it yourself. Sure. But I think what people need to do, and I struggle with this immensely. I just want to come home and be comfortable. Well, and, and that's <laughs> that's the key. You have to find what is the thing I want to challenge myself with and, and where do I want to find that fulfillment? For you, before we started recording today, you were talking about, you know, spinning up a Linux box and, and, and you know, working with a different, you know, a different thing than you've done before and staying fresh on this, that and the other, where someone else is going to go, <laughs> nope, <laughs> like not where yeah. I'm spending my time. So maybe they get fulfillment. But I think the problem that a lot of us have is we try to feel feel that we have to be so self-reliant. We let individualism go too far and we we do things to try to get the sense of accomplishment that's never going to give us a sense of accomplishment it's only going to bog us down and painting the house is an exact story of that i mean i wish i had that mentality when i moved in because as much pride as i got from it i don't get any pride from looking up on how i stained my roof with the wrong color paint <laughs> or you know? i don't get any benefit from that now i should have just paid somebody and been done and go hmm maybe one day i'd like to do that and try it in a small controlled environment or like you said um the pride from it okay you painted that room you've got pride today you've got pride tomorrow in six months you might not care anymore <laughs> you're like eh, i just you just come home you just you know like I used to have to repair um, – like I had my dishwasher or my washer and dryer fall mm-hmm. apart. And to me, this was – I spent like two hours researching it, taking it apart, looking at the diagrams, finding the part number, calling Sears. I'd spend another hour driving over to Sears to get the part, bring it home, try to fit it in because I did it the most inefficient way to take it apart or or try to put it in the wrong way or something. Put it all back together. I just spent six hours. I can call somebody. They got the cut stuff on their truck. They've they seen could have done it times. in one. Yeah. They're done in an hour. Division of labor. Right? <laughs> so, I, I mean, isn't that a great place to, to start wrapping this conversation up, though, is that, look, we face a lot of challenges and the yeah. the future is coming at us. Right? We don't have to invent it. It's coming and we're a part of it. We can help shape what it is. But we go back to some some tried and true principles. And when somebody tells you, look, you need to focus on one thing. They're not saying at the expense of everything else. They're not saying go and give up all of your hopes and dreams. But what's the one thing that you can do right now to accomplish it? And when they talk about division of labor being a tried and true strategy of humanity, it's not saying that you can't. I garden. I'm looking out at my garden right now and I haven't gardened in a year and it's all overgrown. But I enjoy that and I get out there and I'm in a new place and it's easy to me, even though it's hard work. Someone else looks at that and sees, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to the grocery store. It's not about the grocery store to me. We have to find where we fit in, where our division of labor is professionally, where we find fulfillment outside of that, and never, never, never blend the two. Because as this future comes, we've got to be able to steer ourselves into, as you mentioned, these high-level areas of what's important right now. And I think people struggle with that. I don't think it's just you and me that struggle with it. Although you seem to you seem to be pretty good with it right now, calling the painter in. I'm, I'm proud of that. Well, I mean... There's other considerations. If you don't have the income to do it, right, then you might have to. Just when, I, I just I don't know. I well, default on letting people who are like same with your car. If your car's messed up, you might try to do something, or you might take it to a mechanic. 
because they know what they're doing. I'm not trying to be too stereotypical, but there is that factor. So when I was going through college, I, I mean, I couldn't find $5 to spare sometimes. And I think that gave me this mentality of I need to do everything myself, the self-reliance. And I think if that's your background, you may be more prone to it because I've also met very wealthy people. I didn't have a lot in college and I that's why I was doing everything myself. Right. Right. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. But I've also – and again, not being stereotypical, I've also met very wealthy people who I kind of look at them like, what do you mean you don't know? I mean you're going to call somebody to change your flat tire on the side of the road? Really? You know, and, I mean, yeah, that's and there's nuts. this there's this line between self-reliance and self-destruction through completely asinine things we never need to do. And we all struggle with it. I work hard all day long. I come home. I want to be able to enjoy my time at home. And so I don't always want to spend it every weekend or every evening doing things that I, I can do inefficiently with lots and lots of effort. So, I mean, there is a balance. You know, it's definitely a balance. You know what all of that means, Chris? It means that once once we end this episode, I've got to go admit that I've got to call somebody to fix my garage door and to fix a (laughs) sink in my bathroom that I've put off for months and months and months. That means I'm never getting to it. I don't have the time or the resources and I just need to call someone now before you would be like, no, I'm going to get to it. And you're starting to get to the point where you're like, you I would know have been what? stubborn about it. No, I wouldn't have been like that. I would have been like, hell no, I'm going to do this myself. I, I keep thinking back to what was that movie? Funny Farm. Then they try to do all this stuff themselves and they like. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I have seen that movie and I can't remember a thing about it. So and, and every time movies are brought the up, money that's my pit. Answer. yeah, the money pit. That was one. Well, Chris, thanks for joining me today. I hope that every, I hope that what we've done is given people something to think about. What if your job does not exist 20 years from now? What do you start doing today to prepare for it? And it's not some big grandiose thing of I have to learn 80,000 new technologies and I'm so far behind and then we get lost in the sea of despair. What's the one thing you can do right now today to prepare yourself? Is it learning a small new skill? Is it simply asking a colleague a question? What's the thing you can start and then start living that every single day? Because no, not all of our jobs are going to be gone in 20 years, but we might as well, we might as well live as if they were. Just thinking about if it's a highway and the lane you're on looks like it's about to dead end. Maybe it's actually a merge lane and you just need to merge over one lane, learn one new skill set, or just change your title, you know, maybe switch jobs to a different title doing the same thing. And, And that path is going to continue on I'm in a slightly different way. I'm absolutely stealing that from you. That merge lane thing was was pure <laughs> educational gold. You're welcome. I, I, <laughs> Thank I, I you. Know that I am you, not going to. I'm going to need you to um, do a uh, do some type of creative comments because I'm not giving you attribution for that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.